This is Pastor Clint Ribble, and you're listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. For more information, please visit gracepoint.net. Volunteer Sunday at Grace Point, part two. Look at Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Let's look at six verses there. We used this text just a few weeks ago for the ordination of pastors Melissa Green and Jennifer Smith. We always do when we're ordaining people into vocational ministry. I want to pick up at the latter part of the text that we read on that day and continue it um, a little farther. Look at verse 11 of Ephesians 4. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And he did this for the equipping of the saints. That's you. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. King James, for the work of ministry. Ministry is not done just by the fivefold ministry. They equip you and we together, saints, the body of Christ, do the work of the service or ministry. To the building up of the body of Christ. Fivefold ministries for the building up of the body of Christ. Until, here's the goal, we all attain the unity of the faith. That's not always easy in a crowd this big. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, till we really understand who Jesus was and what he meant. To a mature man, a mature person. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And that's lovely. And as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. That's what a church is supposed to do. The body of Christ is supposed to do. We're always, as a part of the body of Christ, growing up into what? Into the one who was first called the body of Christ. The full stature, the life of Jesus, the way a human life is supposed to be lived. We're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. I love verse 16. We'll come back to it. From whom the whole body, the whole body being fitted and there's a word to underline, we're going to come back to, being fitted, the body of Christ is fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, different joints, remember back ninth grade biology, homeostasis, your body always seeking healthy equilibrium, systems working with one another, even in tension, joints, providing, providing their part, their being responsible for their part of holistic health? Well, the whole body being fitted, held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. That's, that's you. We're together the body of Christ, but you are individual parts. And that's a good question for us. Are you experiencing the proper working of your individual part in this congregation? If so, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself, and the first and the last word almost always is love. If the motive's not right, then the method doesn't matter. 
Last week was a wonderful week in the life of our church. 100, I mean, this is the probably fifth year we've been doing a volunteer fair, and so tons of you are already grafted into your work of ministry, literally. The majority of people in this room are already really plugged into the church, and you're what makes this place go round. I mean, just today, there's over 100 volunteers from the children's classrooms, 40, 35 to 40 of our congregation are making children's ministry uh, work today and providing the children with a message of God's love. But last week, a hundred, a little over a hundred new people, 125 different people signed up to give themselves or to give of themselves on behalf of our congregation couple of last several years, uh, worship service attendance right over there. One of the things is medical response team. Some of you EMTs, um, firemen, nurses, um, physicians assistants, uh, medical doctors, you guys sign up for that. And what it means is on a rotation, you sit in those two back chairs over there where Randy, Dr. Malco's sitting right now, and you sit there, and most of the time, Randy, nothing happens, and that's great, but in the first service, one of our beloved um, had something happen, whether it was seizure, heart, we really don't know, but we're watching over it, fell out, and the medical response team was there, and the stuff you sign up for um, comes through. It comes true, and you ministered, and they were immediately there and gathered around our loved one. The ambulance was called, and they were taken care of. Last week, 125 people signed up in spaces just like that. They signed up, many of them, for multiple tasks. There were about 200 lines filled in last week of people saying, I'll do that. I'll be on the coffee team. I'll be on the cleaning team. I'll sign up to send cards to those who are sick. I'll be one that prays. I'll get involved in Men of Acts. 200 different slots. I expect today many more will do the same. I do expect that. I'm convinced of that because a lot of you weren't here last week. Uh, some of you were here and you didn't sign up because you wanted to wait and think about it. You know we we're going to be coming back. So a lot more are going to sign up today. Last week, I noted a few things that I want to just rehearse in a cursory form. But we noted, and this is important stuff for us as a church, that in order for us to continue maturing, and by continue to mature, I mean to not just be satisfied with sustaining. Right now, a congregation that has six to 900 people on Sunday, just in terms of number, and that's not the whole story, but in terms of number, congregation that has six to 900 people, 1,600 to 2,000 members, you're in the 97th, 98th percentile of churches around the world. And if you're not careful, you can kind of get there come to a place of autopilot and just say, you know, it's fine for us just to sustain and just to be this. But I, I don't think that's full maturity. I think full maturity, to use a word of somebody that I've read after a lot in terms of the church and effective church work, Bill Hybels, Bill uses the word prevailing, and I like that. In order to continue maturing into what Bill calls a prevailing or advancing Christian church, we can't just be satisfied with sustaining. We've got to continue to transition and continue to grow until finally we become what I would refer to as a fully 
mobilized body. A fully mobilized body. You know the word mobilize, mobilization. A lot of time it's used uh, in, in terms of armament, war, armed services. Uh, it's, a, it's a war term. But by mobilized, what I mean is to be organized for a specific purpose. You know, there are folk who are organized, but it's not for a specific purpose. And there are folk who have deep purpose, but they're not organized. Jesus, when he was 12 years old, said, I must be about my father's. Some people kind of recall from that and think the church is more holy than to be called business. No, no, business is a good word. Jesus said, There's, I must be about my father's business. And it would be a shame for people selling widgets and gadgets and other things to conduct their business in a more effective way than we do this one that to me has the greatest commodity the world's ever known and that's the love of God. And so to be mobilized is to be organized effectively for a specific purpose. And I just want to remind you of what you know but we need to be reminded of it periodically. Our purpose that we're mobilized for, that we're organized for, is the purpose of God's kingdom. Our purpose is the purpose of the gospel. Our purpose is the purpose of good news, to share the message of God's redeeming love with humans everywhere and one another. Our purpose is to teach people what Jesus has taught us. Our purpose is to baptize people, not just in water, but to baptize people into the life of Jesus, into the life that he lived, and to baptize them into the reality that he's going to continue to live that life through them. That's our purpose. Go ye into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. We are called to that purpose. We're first called to that purpose as individuals. You hear this call. You feel this draw. You work out your relationship with God and, and, and trembling and fear and a sense of great mystery and awe. It's an individual thing in the beginning, but we are called in that calling to attach to one another, to live that purpose out in community. That purpose is not meant to be lived individually. That purpose is intended. The purpose of God's kingdom is intended to be done in community. That's why Paul said, together you are the body of Christ. Individually, you're the temple of God, but together you're the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, Christ lives in this world through community. Together, you're the body of Christ. Buster, didn't you see that yesterday? You laid your mother to rest just, what, three years after laying your father to rest? I just, I stood back yesterday and just looked at community around you and Darlene and your four brothers and sisters. Christ lives in this world through communities that gather around one another. Last week, I attempted with my whole heart, and I'm telling you, it's my whole heart. I really believe this stuff. I attempted to persuade and probably not persuade because most of you are persuaded, but to inspire you to believe again. Number one, that gifts and strength have been given to you as an investment of God. 
Gifts and strength have been invested in you by God for the benefit not only of yourselves, but for other human beings as well. God has given you life, and that life is not for you to live it alone. That life is to be shared, that your cup might run over and the saucer of other people's life might catch that joy and peace and goodness. Number one, gifts and strength are given to you for the sake not only of yourself but others. Number two, you are to accept those gifts. You are to recognize that strength, that life, that breath, and you are to gratefully employ them with liberality in the lives of others. As a matter of fact, the gratitude and the liberality run together. Your expression of gratefulness to God is best manifest in your willingness to share with his other children. I don't know how many of you have parents have at times had people want to do something for you and you have turned that and redirected it and said, just do it for my kids. Just take care of them. Do something for them and it's all I could ask for. You are to recognize and accept these gifts gratefully and to deploy them liberally in the lives of other people. Number three, the thing that I deeply believe is one of the places you are to use them is within a local church. I said one of the places. I believe in many pillars of this world. I believe in the artistic community, the academic community, the medical community. There are a lot of wonderful communities, I believe, sanctioned by God. The one that I'm particularly involved with and responsible for, I will tell you, one of the places that you are to employ your gifts and strength is within a local church. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I just want to remind you, this institution is central to the heart of God. Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, I'm here to build something. And you know what he's here to build? He said, I will build my church. Jesus loves the church. The apostle Paul said the church is his bride. And for those of you that have blessed marriages, you understand that is a wonderful term of endearment. This is the bride of Christ, and Paul went so far as to say that Jesus gives himself for her. Oh, brothers and sisters, you and I can join the kingdom of God, the eternal task, through many institutions in this world, not the least of which is the church of Jesus Christ. The fourth thing that I want to convince you of and persuade you of and inspire you to is we are at a stage as a congregation that our our future long-term viability. Now, I am not saying this for effect. I'm saying it because it's the truth. We are at a stage as a congregation that our future long-term viability depends upon our consistent, continued, and successful usage of the resources God has given us. And next to God's presence, I want to say that again, our long-term viability, our sustaining, prevailing place in God's kingdom as a local church in this community that you guys all believe in or you wouldn't be here. But long-term, it depends upon us successfully, consistently, continuously using the resources that God has given us. And next, Kevin, next to God's presence here, which you and I both enjoy, we feel that. Next to God's presence, your strengths, your energy, physically, emotionally, spiritually, your talents, 
your giftings, your skills, your life and all that you bring to the table is our ultimate. Next to God's presence, you are the ultimate resource of what will make this place a prevailing Christ-honoring body. And this church is in a very important stage. Now, there are many stages of development as it relates to a church. But in terms of functional ecclesial, that's a fancy word for church, in, in terms of functional ecclesial work, we are actually, after 10 years, and kudos to you, we are in the final stage of functional development. Now, we're, we're not like in it thriving we're trying to get out of the second stage into the third stage and we're working hard at it and it's three steps forward and two steps backward because this is not easy to pull off. But the stage we're trying to get in and we're trying to make fit for us is called the equipping stage. And it is the final stage of functional development where we have to learn how to live perpetually and effectively. That stage is the stage. Listen, that stage is the stage where we finally and clearly realize that the tasks and the responsibilities and the ministry and the calling, I'm talking about that stature of Christ that we're trying to move up into, we're trying to grow into, not just individually, but as, indivi but as a community. I'm telling you guys, we are at a place where we have recognized that that responsibility has become too big, it's too complex, there are too many moving parts for a few highly committed blood, sweat, and tears volunteers and paid staff to pull off. I want to say that again. We're at a place where we're either going to, we could just sustain, struggle, and me just badger your heart every quarter to help with the kids and give a little more offering. We just kind of figure out how to live here. But if we really want to move into that place where we just keep growing in God and we get more effective, not just numerically, but qualitatively, we are at a place where that is just too big for a few highly committed people. And to continue, Stephen, with a perverted ratio where 20% do 80% of the work and all of that business. We cannot hire our way into becoming the fully functioning, mature, prevailing Christian church, Paul, that God's called us to be. I wish we could. If anybody could, it'd be a Williamson County church. But we can't. And it is a perversion of the gospel to try. Because we are supposed to get Chris, we're supposed to get as big a five-fold ministry is as needed. We need to ordain enough people as needed. We need, to have, we need to have enough elders. We need to have enough paid staff, reverends, clergy to do the equipping of the saints that you guys, and me too, might do the work of the ministry. And I'll tell you, that's, that's kind of an unusual place ministers have this harrowing process. Melissa just got ordained. She's got, to, she's got to remember, you guys have got jobs too. Our job's reverend, but we're saints too. And, and we're always trying to figure out, now what part of that was job and what part of that, Andreas, is me being a parent here in this church? Did I go to that parent meeting the other night because I'm the senior pastor or because I have a 15-year-old and an 8-year-old? We're all to do the work of the ministry. We cannot 
get a big enough payroll to be a Christ-honoring church. To that end, this local church body depends upon your faithful commitment. This body depends upon your faithful commitment played out through your cheerful giving. And I emphasize cheerful. You remember that generally is associated with monetary gifts. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, the story of the church is collecting money for the starving Jerusalem church. But, but it's beyond money. It's the mantra of New Testament giving. You want, you, want, you want the underlying theme of New Testament, New Covenant Christian giving? Here it is. Paul said, so let. I mean, that's him looking at the preachers, Dave, and saying, so let. We got all kinds of ways that we compel. But Paul said, here's good spirituality in a church, Judy. He said, let everyone give as they purpose in their heart, Annette. Let Annette give as she purposes in her heart. Anybody ever given for reasons other than what you purposed in your heart? Anybody ever given out of peer pressure or guilt or? We all have. You remember, I grew up in those special meetings where they would say, everybody can give a $100 stand, and you just sit there. Everybody can give 50 stand, and you just sit there. Everybody can give 20 stand and you just sit there. I've been in those. Man, it's awful. You're sitting there with two bucks in your pocket. Everybody who can give five. And finally, Chris, the preacher up front says, all right, surely you can give a dollar and you're sitting there. (laughs) And finally, almost mocking you, the guy says, hey, turn around. He didn't say bums, but he meant it. Turn around to the folks sitting there. Give them a dollar so they can stand up with us. I'm not kidding. I've been in that kind of an appeal. Anybody know what it's like to give, not because of what you purposed in your heart, Steve, but because of, Paul said, let everyone give not out of compulsion or out of necessity or external means, but as they purpose in their heart. For God loves something. And it's not just giving that God loves. Because Paul said there are a lot of reasons to give. Go back. 12th century Jewish sage, Maimonides. Go back and look up Maimonides' eight levels of giving. It's profound. Paul said we could even give our body to be martyred, but if we have not love, it profits us nothing. It's not spiritual hell. We could speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if it's not a gift from love, what's it do? Paul said God loves more than giving. God loves cheerful giving. God loves cheerful giving because when the disposition of the heart is happy to give, God smiles and says, they get it. They get it. You know, when I look at my child and reach, when I reach over to get French fries out of there and they pull the French fries away, I think to myself, did you miss the fact that I bought those fries? Did Did you miss the fact that I could go buy enough fries right now to bury you in? (laughs) And when they finally begrudgingly say, okay, by that time, Johnny, you don't even want to eat the fry because you find out as you develop your children, Mike, you're you're hungrier for them to find true love 
than you are for the french fry. And God feels the same way. He loves cheerful giving because he knows your heart has changed. And this local church depends upon the faithful commitment of people played out through cheerful giving. Financially, good last quarter, begin the year with six very weak weeks. Take care of your church financially. God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Know that those riches and glory are in your life. And think about this place. Don't make the budget here suffer. Don't make preachers and ministers have to beg and cajole. Give as you purpose in your heart. And ultimately, the reason I don't, I don't harangue you about this is because I know really what God wants is cheerfulness. And if we can ever find transformed hearts of generosity, the numbers will never be wrong around here. But if we get the numbers right and still don't have transformed hearts, I guess it'll do in a pinch, but it's not what God wants. Give physically. Give this body. It may not always be your high skills. It may be your body. Give, here's one we don't talk about a lot. Give evangelistically. Evangelism. It's just a anglicizing of a Greek word, euangelion. That's all we did. We just took the Greek and just transliterated it letter by letter and made the word evangelism. You know what it means? Euangelion is translated gospel. Evangelism is sharing the gospel. And I know underneath it all, the gospel is the good news of, of God's love presented in the life of Jesus. But, but the good news fans out from there. Invite people to this church. This is a good thing, guys. This is a good church. It fits lots of people. And if it's working for you and it's blessing you, don't forget this church during the week. Invite your friends that don't have local churches. Invite your friends that have local churches that aren't happy. Some of y'all are going to other churches and trying them. Why can't you invite them to come over here and try us? <laughs> the faithful commitment of us to evangelize and to share the good news of our church and, and give your skills. I do know this. All of us ultimately, and Andreas, you're about to like this, and all of our Lampo, my buddy Dave Ramsey, all of you guys that work over there, I want to tell you something. We are all going to deploy or spend the resources of our life somewhere. The breaths and the moments and the gifts and the energies and the talents, we're going to spend those somewhere. And we have two ways of doing that. Thoughtfully and unthoughtfully. Let me say that another way. We're all going to spend our life somewhere two ways, thoughtfully or unthoughtfully. Here's another way of saying that. Proactively or reactively. You have gifts and talents and you're either going to proactively invest them or you are going to let life take control of you and you're going to be reacting, dispensing with very poor stewardship these gifts that God has given you called life. We all know what that's like. We've all been there at some point in our life. To some degree, we have all been in those situations where we just put it over on survival mode instead of living mode. Jesus never said that he has come to provide just survival and that more abundantly. He said he's come to give life 
and that more abundantly. But at times, and Chris even has a seminar coming up in March about sacred survival, at times life overtakes us and we end up in survival mode. We end up being in situations where of necessity, we no longer are dictating our lives. We are no longer captains at the helm of the ship of our life. Life comes in. Sometimes it's been brought upon you by previous generations. In the financial world, do you ever read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? We do have a responsibility as parents to set our kids up for successful thinking. Sometimes prior generations set you up for this kind of survival living. Uh, sometime it's you. As I say quite often around here, sometime you find yourself in hot water and you look around for somebody to blame and you realize, John, I ran the bath. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. But there are times in this life, and some of you are there right now, where you lose your place at the helm and the storm takes over and the wheels start spinning and you couldn't grab a hold of it if you wanted to and the masts are broken and the rudder breaks off and all you can do is just batten down the hatches and tie yourself by rope to the bow of the ship and hope somehow the storm will abate and you will find yourself on the reef washed ashore. Everybody in this room at some point has been in that place tossed to and fro, life is out of control, and all of your energy is reactively being spent, unthoughtfully being spent just to survive. And we become reactive victims of a life out of control. The reason I say Andreas, Andreas works with Dave, and Andreas is the Dave Ramsey for the Hispanic community. He's on stations are growing. Hope by the end of this year it'll be on 50. But the message, Andreas is we become reactive victims. Little by little, we get ourselves in situations where our life is paying down no principle. This isn't just about finances, but you get the metaphor. Our life isn't paying down principle, but we're just, Bill, we're just doing shuck and jive, smoke and mirrors with higher interest rates or lower interest rates. And we've all been there. Dave was there. We become reactive victims to a life out of control and our resources are reactively spent surviving and the principle never diminishes. It's just all interest. And we feel so wasted, don't we? Surviving instead of proactively and thoughtfully investing. But I want to tell you what Dave in that, in that domain tells people and what Andreas tells people and what I want to tell you in the spiritual sense, some of you today are there, but my encouragement to you is, that's it, it's despair. I get it. I, I, I have been there in more forms than just finances. It's despair. But I want to tell you, the reason we lifted a cup and a broken body of our Lord is because life is bigger than death. Hope is bigger than despair. And there is a principle called sowing and reaping. And the bottom line is, we often sow our way into these tight spots, and it's horrible. But here's the good news. You can sow your way out of those tight spots. You say, what are you talking about, Stan? I'm talking about sowing, investing the seed and the gift of your life into good ground. I do know. Folks, I've been in a briar patch before. I've sowed bad seed and woke up in the middle 
of a harvest that I had planted. But there's good news in the middle of that harvest. God will come into the middle of that briar patch. He won't immediately take it away. It's probably not going to be a miracle overnight. But he tells you, don't be deceived. As surely as sowing and reaping works in the bad, it works in the good. So love, so kindness, so generosity, so giving. Don't so lose yourself that you lose the hope of the kingdom of God. You sowed yourself in, you can sow yourself out. Bad decisions are a big part of what gets us into these enslavements. Good news, good decisions are a big part of what can deliver us. And I just wanted to say today, it is a good decision to be an active player in the kingdom of God. It's not the only answer. And I'm not that preacher sitting up here telling you that if all your life is wrecked, giving our offering plate, teaching our Sunday school class, and it'll all be corrected in the next week. No. But I do want to tell you, a local church is good soil to invest your resources, your life, your giftings into. Ted Hewitt is a successful producer in this town. You've been listening to his music through lots of popular artists for a long time. I just want to tell Ted, this is a good platform. You won't make a dime up here probably, but this is a good platform to invest your life in. He evidently believes that because he had plenty to do this week with his artists, but he prepared his mom's favorite hymn, Nancy, Ferris Lord Jesus. It is a good decision to find yourself a body of believers with whom you can join yourself in a fitted and committed way. Now stay with me. Fitted. Did you hear that word earlier? Galatians 4, 16. The whole body. That's you guys. I'm talking about how we can really go to the next level as a church in terms of function and effectiveness and Christ-honoring. The whole body is fitted and held together. How is it held together? It's fitted and held together by the precision of God to gift and employ people like you, Cassandra, with giftings that this church is yet to deploy, but giftings that fit so well here. Like any significant relationship, whether it's marriage, friendship, business partnership, Listen to me, guys. Any successful, significant relationship depends upon fittedness. It's not the only thing it depends upon, but it greatly depends upon fittedness, or another word for that is compatibility. Are you fitted? Do you fit in this congregation? If, if Na I say all the time, if Nancy and I were looking for a church for our, our family, we would, with an 8-year-old and a 15-year-old, geography would be an important thing. This is not the time in our life when we're going to go to a church, no matter how great it is, in Mount Juliet. We live down here. Kids go to school down here, play ball down here. Geography is a big deal. We have distinct needs that some of you don't have. we got an 8-year-old and 15-year-old. We need a good youth group. We need a children's ministry that takes the gospel seriously. Uh, we, we need to be around people raising kids. So we would look to the issue of fittedness and we would think about location, we'd think about needs met. I also, I'll tell you this, we would also think about are there needs there that we can fill? Because we don't, 
We just don't like the idea of mooching. We like giving back. But I want to tell you, number one for us would be shared vision. Paul said the body of Christ, the whole body, a church like Grace Point, listen, we are fitted together and shared vision or ideological alignment, similar worldview, theological unity. Say, oh, I don't care about all that theology stuff. Yes, you do. I'm not talking about theology proper and professional academicians. I'm talking about theology. You know what theology means? It means I think something about God. Paul, I, I, it would be very important to me to be in a congregation that thinks about God the way I do, that looks at the gospel the way I do. I can't imagine anything more important in the world except the way God looks at me as how I look at God. Mark, how I look at God shapes my life. It shapes the way I treat people. And, and, and frankly, if we were looking for a church, theological unity, and, and listen, I didn't say perfect theological uniformity. Nobody's got that. Even the denominations don't have that. You, you can't get precise enough in your denominationalism to get everybody thinking the same way about everything. And I want to be clear, whether it's marriage, friendship, business, or church, you will never find an exact clone. And as a matter of fact, if you did find an exact clone, it wouldn't last because you're always changing and so are they. So you might just, you know, the world might line up, all the space in our cells might line up one time and we might walk right through one another, but it doesn't happen very often. And you might find that person who is exactly aligned from you, but it'll change because we're always changing. But you do want to find partners in life who are close enough in vision that forward progress is enhanced, not hindered by your connection. I want to say that again. You want to find partners in life, marriage, business, church, who are close enough in vision that forward progress, growing up into the stature of Christ, that that is enhanced, not hindered by your connection. In a church, as in a marriage, as in a business, we are fitted together. And it is no joke that there are people in this room who have been in business and marriage and church relationships that ultimately the great tragedy and heartbreak of facing incompatibility. To get committed before you've determined if you're fitted, and I'm not trying to be cutely alliterative, it just turned out that way, but to get committed. That's why there should be a law that you cannot get married until you're 55. There would be some inherent problems with that, but I still, <laughs> we laugh to keep from crying because there are many in this room that have committed before they found out if they were fitted. And you want to find partners in life who are close enough that to use Jesus' term, Jesus looked out, and, I, and I'm, I, this is very serious, Jesus looked out and said, take my yoke upon you. You know what a yoke is? A yoke is not a one-person harness. A yoke is a two-person harness. Jesus is in the yoke. Now, why are you in a yoke? You're in a yoke to pull a load in a direction. 
Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. He was wearing it. What he was saying, Richard, was come up in here with me. I'm thrilled that every week around here, hopefully, people feel that call and come under the yoke with Jesus. I'm also, I also want to give honor to those who have not come into that yoke, but are circling and you're listening. And you take seriously these decisions. And there are people who leave here who haven't made a decision for Christ, but I honor that because you're measuring the yoke. Jesus said, when he said that, don't set your hand to the plow, get down the road and figure out you hadn't really thought this thing through and then go back. But sit down and count the cost, measure the yoke. And brothers and sisters, outside of marriage, I can't think of a more intimate relationship than a group of people who gather in here with third graders and hold a piece of bread up over their head and say, this is the broken body of Jesus, and this is what that means. That's a distinct yoke. This church has a distinct vision of God. So does Clearview Baptist. So does Christ United Methodist. And God's going to get us all together one day, together, and we're going to be fine. But for now, there are distinctions that do not undermine the gospel, but it just might be that the distinctions here allow us to reach a group of people Christ United Methodist may never reach. And I'm convinced Clearview can reach people that maybe we won't. But we have theological opinions. We think about the gospel in certain ways. And one of the great sadnesses, as I look back one day on the first 10 years of this church, as we have succeeded and grown, one of the great sadnesses is the loss of people who got committed before they were fitted. Because in the early days of a church, Chris, when you're just trying to get the thing off the ground, bottom line is, sometime you'll take anybody without really talking the thing through. And it's sad to watch people invest long-term and then realize somewhere down the road, Lynn, no. That's why if you're new here, the church isn't so big that we can't do it, I still want to do coffee with you. Before you get your family invested up to years and let your heart get attached, let's sit down. We have a vision here. We have a calling here. And you can't get anything done if you're sharing a yoke with someone who has a completely different destination in mind. In a church, we are yoked together. We share a harness. We share a load to pull. So it behooves us to share a direction so we're not moving and wasting energy and giftings. But after you're fitted, it is time to get committed. And this is where I'll close today. I've already told you that you should commit, you, you can commit, you can give your giftings for the benefit of the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ, and a local church called Grace Point to build up this body, and it will be good use of your time. Many of you have been here a long time, but you still have not moved beyond what this church does for you. And that's never going to wear thin for us, and we're never going to dun you, but I just want you to know it's ultimately going to wear thin for you. You're too gifted. You have too much. And as my dad said, fruit unused will eventually get rotten. And it's going to feel rotten in you. So I want to say finally that the commitment for you, the commitment to this church is not just for the church, but it's for your benefit as well. Because 
I deeply believe it is more blessed to give, Brian, than receive. And I know tons of you receive a lot from this church, but I also know it is more, you will be more blessed when you give than even when you receive. I know that God is not mocked whatsoever a person sows. The same, the same, the same shall you likewise reap, Brad. For if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap of the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit and invest in eternal things, I'm just telling you, I, this is good soil for your life. I don't just want to pull you in by coffee and say, here's all the things we can do for you. One of the biggest things we can do for you, Gene, is give you a place to deploy those gifts in something eternal. Because I believe what Paul said, teach those who are rich in this life, and we're rich, we have so much from God, teach those, John, who are rich in this life to share laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. And that's not just in the by and by, that's a plane of existence here and now, laying up for yourself treasures in a dimension deeper. I believe that the happiest, most peace-filled people are those who love their neighbors as they love themselves. They love their neighbors as they love themselves. The most joy-filled people are people who get, for God so loved, he gave. Because loving is giving. And I believe people come to a church for many reasons, but ultimately they end up staying for two primary reasons. And I want to share with you one of the greatest bits of wisdom that has ever been offered to me by a man who was supposed to have preached last week for us, my mentor, L.H. Hardwick, but we had to reschedule him uh, March or April. Tell you about L.H. Hardwick. L.H. Hardwick pastored a church in this town called Christ Church for 59 years. Now, I spent seven years with him between 26 and 33 figuring out all the things that he did wrong because that's what 26 to 33-year-olds are wont to do. I am spending years and decades now upon reflection thinking about all the things that he did right. And I didn't know what I was talking about. Oh, what an armchair quarterback I was. And he was gracious. I'll tell you about him. He spent 35 years in faithful pastoral ministry before the church had 500 on its first Sunday. 35 years. He worked a full-time job for the church's first 20 years. He was bivocational. Sister Hardwick, we called her, she worked 35 years to supplement the income that the church just couldn't quite provide for him because he was always putting it in other places. So after 35 years and she's still working and he's pastoring and they finally hit 500, you think that that 55-year-old man would kind of level off and that's the coup de grace after thir three and a half decades of life. And between year 35 and year 50, the church ballooned and became the largest church in this town and one of the 50 most influential churches in America, perennially named by Christian Century and Christianity Christianity Today. And in that period of thriving, I got to figure out pieces of his greatness, not the least of which was my chief gifting was talking and preaching, which wasn't his. He brought me in, by the he brought me in at 26. By the time I was 28, I was preaching Easter. And he was setting back, 
And the real wonder wasn't how good a 29-year-old could preach. The real wonder was to watch a 60-year-old man who had poured out his life since he was 17 graciously cheer on the success. You remember, Kevin, the success of me. Oh, I wish I would have got it back then. (laughs) But one day, this is the piece. He got us younger staff members together because he was really bothered. We were the biggest church in town. There were 8,000 members. We were running about 4,200 on Sunday. I had a Sunday school class back then, bigger than the church that I pastor now. It It was a machine. It was a system. But the bedrock of it was the love of this man and his wife. And and I just got to come into a fully oiled machine and think some of it was because of me. And one day he gathered us together because he was bothered. He had pastored for 35 years, Clyde, one way, shepherding people. And, and you know, he was your pastor forever, still is our pastor. And he, uh, he was bothered because back in that heyday, he realized something. We had grown, biggest church in town, but every three to four years, we were turning over 80% of our congregation. And that did not satisfy a shepherd's heart. The system is such that if you keep the front door bigger than the back door, the net effect is growth. But he still had a Lord that told him, if 99 are in the barn and one is lost, it's not satisfying. So those numbers never worked for him. So he got us together. This one I want to tell you. This isn't just for my pastor and it's for you. He got us together and he said, would you guys, he got a big grease board or it was a chalkboard, and he said, would y'all help me focus on 10 families who's left this past year. Oh, well, that that year we had grown from 3,500 to 3,900, and hundreds of families had left, but hundreds of families had come. Success, right? Oh, not to the shepherd. So we put 10 families on the board, and he sat back, and he said, tell me why. And we stood up there, and it was crazy stuff. Crazy stuff's a nice way of saying it. It was crazy stuff. And I was able to, one family I knew, we were all marking under all the 10 families. One family, I was able to say, the guy, the dad, they had four kids in the church. The dad got demoted from the A softball team to the B softball team. And why we ever called one A and B, I don't know. But we did, and the guy got demoted, and he left. We... We, and, and, they, and somebody else would say, well, there was also this going on. The kid wasn't really connecting with the youth group. And there was always four or five or six reasons. We sat there for an hour and a half putting all these reasons underneath. And one lady, you know, she and her family have left, pulled everybody out because Landy, our incredible choir director and music pastor there, Landy periodically had a tendency, not discreetly always, to move people in the choir away from the microphone. It's just the truth. There were microphones that hang down. You know, the big church microphones hang down. So some people got moved toward a microphone, some people. And sometime he had time. Sometime he would just look up right before service, and he was just so busy. He would say, uh, you know, Bill, scoot down three. John, move over. And boy, you'd see him. And it was, it was, get away from the microphone. And they left because of that. So we get all these reasons people have left the church, and that old pastor, my pastor, 
he sat back and he cried. And he said, it's not true. That's not why they left. And he took the chalk. And if you get this as a church, we'll grow. Inside and outside. He took that chalk and he crossed out, just crossed it all out. And he said, it's not why they left. He said, it's why they said they left. And it might even be, Gloria, you were there 40 years. He's our pastor. He said, it's, it's why they said they left. And it might even be why they think they left, but it ain't why they left. He said, there are two reasons people stay at a church and the same two reasons are the reasons they leave a church. Outside of shared vision, the two reasons, he said, are intimacy, relationships, and significance. Intimacy. He looked at the people up there and he said, I know people in this church with more reasons to leave than any of these. And they're so mad and aggravated that they want to leave, but they can't. Because they stood up this morning and broke a piece of bread with people around them that they're so melded with. He said, they might not even like me anymore, but they can't get away from one another because they're fitly joined together. He said, you think I don't know that there are people that won't even show up when I preach because they like the young preacher? I'll never forget that. He said, I know that. But he said, ultimately, it's not about which preacher's preaching. He said, people come and go on the absence or the presence of intimacy and significance. And he said, there are some people here who want to leave, but they're so tangled up in the flesh and the lives of other humans like them, they can't get away. Significance. There are some people here that have enough and listen to me, stay married long enough. You think you can't find a few reasons to leave? Nancy and I have looked at one another a couple of times in our 12 years and said, you know, I think this is where people, I mean, it just hits you. I think this is where lots of people divorce. Anybody ever been there? Say, you and Nancy are about to divorce? Never. No, 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 no. But we've looked at one another because life happens. You grow apart, whatever. And you look at one another, you think, oh, this is where that happens. But we looked at one another and said, no. There's this little eight-year-old that looks like both of us. There's this 15-year-old who needs her desperately. There, there's this beauty. We said for better or worse, and it doesn't take long as you live together to start really keeping record. 1 Corinthians 13 said love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, but we all got enough unlove in our hearts. We start keeping records of what we don't like. And eventually, you can find reasons, whether it's a partnership, marriage, friendship, business, or church. And I just want to tell everybody here, there's plenty of beautiful front door ministries around here to attract you in. But if you don't find committed relationships and get connected to these people that you just broke bread with, you need to know that little gap-toothed child standing beside them's name. 
And if you don't find a sense of, I am needed here, I play a significant role in this church. And I may not be agreeing with everything Stan said at the business meeting, and I might not even like the message. I might not like him, but I'm so wrapped up with 20 first graders and kindergartners who know my name, and I've been teaching them about Jesus. I tell you what that'll do. It'll sustain you until you like me again. <laughs> you don't leave for all the reasons. You stay because you get fitly connected to other parts of the body and you significantly find a place to give back. And if that doesn't happen, you say, oh, I could never imagine. I like your preaching. I like everything. No, no. If all you're doing is receiving, hang around. You're going to start getting annoyed. You remember that moment in marriage? Where the way she used to hold her spoon was the cutest thing in the world. And now the way, now the way she holds her fork just gets on your nerves so bad you can't stand it. It'll happen to you. But if you find a place of connection, and I close this service by pointing you outward to these walls, don't leave here today until you've walked around this room and found a place to put your name. You're not just magnanimously, Dave, figuring out how you can bless Grace Point. You are self-interestedly figuring out a way to find the connectedness of meaningful relationships that will keep you or else you'll go wandering off looking for a better deal and you might find it but the problem is you'll take yourself with you wherever you go <laughs> think about it can you say amen yeah. let's pray Lord thank you for this day now bless us as we give as we sign up, as we commit to this beautiful place called Grace Point. We pray these things in Christ's beautiful name. And God's people said, Amen. go in God's speed, sign up, put your name on the dotted line.